Welcome to another Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a sovereign grace fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the Apostle Paul's letters to the Ephesians and the Colossians. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. I'm just going to read a section from Psalm 118, starting at verse 15. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live, and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. That is, the gate of the Lord, the righteous, will enter through it. I shall give thanks to thee, for thou hast answered me, and thou hast become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. of weeks away from Resurrection Sunday this year. You know that each year, Resurrection Sunday gets progressively later and later on our calendar, and then suddenly it becomes early again. Well, this year it's early. The first Sunday in April is Resurrection Sunday. You will notice how studiously I am avoiding using the word Easter. Uh, Typically, that is the weekend that we have homecoming. We have an extended weekend, and we have a dinner. We have a couple of meals together. We're not going to do that this year. We are going to meet on Sunday morning like regular. We are going to have our communion service, our Resurrection Sunday service like normal, but we are not having an extended homecoming weekend. The men of GCA met together on Friday night, and we discussed this, and came to the conclusion that that was what we were going to do this year because of COVID restrictions and because of people still not traveling freely. We don't want to create a crisis of conscience where people are saying, well, you know, I don't feel comfortable going out or traveling because of COVID and everything. But gee, GCA is having their homecoming and I've never missed and I want to go and I want to be there. And so now we've created a crisis of conscience. So we're just not going to do that. We're going to uh, meet here on Sunday, but there is not going to be a homecoming weekend that first weekend of April. Does that make sense? Yes. Everybody in agreement? Yes. If anybody disagrees, you're welcome to go ahead and contact everybody and have a homecoming at your home. (laughs) Okay. 
I think you all know by now that I grew up a Lutheran kid. Within the Lutheran church, they were very comfortable with the concept of mystery. When I would talk to the pastor at the Lutheran church in Livonia, Michigan, as a young, studious high school and college student, I would hear him sometimes say contradictory things. I mean, not just paradoxical things, but actually cognitively dissonant things. He would actually say that the Bible seemed to be contradictory to itself. I can give you a quick example of something truly contradictory. Uh, If you say that God is almighty, that God has all the power, we would use the word sovereign. If we say God is absolutely all-powerful, but then I turn around and say, but you have to exercise some of your power in order to exercise your free will, in order to get God to accept you. Those are two completely contradictory concepts, and yet people seem to be comfortable with those two contradictory concepts. But when you ask somebody ministerially, well, how can God be absolutely sovereign and men have a free will? They'll say, well, it's just one of those mysteries. The Catholic Church is very comfortable with the concept of mysteries. They raise up the mysteries of the church, the mysteries of God. And what they mean by the word mystery when they say it is, It is unknowable. It is something beyond human comprehension, and we are just comfortable with the idea that that it's a mystery. God just left it mysterious. I remember years ago when I met the Anglican pastor here in Smyrna. One of the things that he said to me was a difference between we as a Calvinistic church and they as an Anglican church. One of the differences was, he said, I'm comfortable with the idea of mystery. He pointed that out as a theological distinction between us and them. They were comfortable with mystery. As we read through Ephesians 3 this morning, Paul is going to use the word mystery. He's going to introduce a mystery. Except that the Greek word that he's using, mysterion, does not mean what the modern concept of mystery means. So I don't want you to be confused when you hear Paul talk about the mystery. Because he's not talking about something that is unknown and unknowable. Instead, what he's saying is, this is something that has always been true, you just didn't know it. Now it's revealed to you, but previously it was in a state of being true and you didn't know it. Here, I'll give you an example. Most of you have had the experience in some point in your life of attempting to read the Bible and not really being able to understand the Bible correctly. And then over time, by the infusion of God's spirit, you reach the point where you were able to read the Bible and it made sense to you and indeed it fed your soul. Previous to that, the Bible still said what the Bible has always said. The New Testament, for 2,000 years, nothing has changed. It has said what it said. In other words, it was there. It was true. You just didn't know it. And then God revealed it to you. God gave you his Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, who is the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, so that you could understand his word. What changed? The word didn't change. You changed Because God did something for you. He revealed to you a mystery that already existed. Do you understand the difference? Yes. Okay, Paul is going to use the language of mystery when describing that now Gentiles have come to faith, not only in Israel's God, but in Israel's Savior. And then he's going to say, but it's always been there. It's just a mystery that was hidden up till now. It just simply wasn't revealed until now. And so, since he is the uh, apostle to the Gentiles, he's going to say that the reason that God gave him this particular calling of being the apostle to the Gentiles was in order to reveal this mystery. 
to uncover this mystery that God was going to bring Gentiles into covenant with him. But it had always been there. So we're going to start this morning with demonstrations of the fact that it had always been there. It's written in the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. The things that Paul himself said were the God-breathed truths of God that are found in his word. If you go back and look at it, it has always said that God was going to introduce Gentiles. But the Jews didn't get it. The Gentiles didn't get it. People just generally didn't get it. But it was always there. And now Paul is in the enterprise of revealing it and saying, look, this is how it's always been. This has always been God's plan. So you Jews who are adverse to the idea of Gentile inclusion, your own scriptures have always said the Gentiles were going to be included. And you Gentiles who don't have the law, who don't have the prophets, who don't have the scriptures, you've been called to faith in Israel's God and Israel's Messiah because his word has always said that he was going to do that. And so this is part of Paul's argument for unification, for having one mind within the church, that there no longer be division between Jew and Gentile, that there be unity within the church regardless of your background because the scripture, the Old Testament, has always included the very thing that's occurring right now. You get the argument? Yep. Okay, it starts really, really early. Genesis 12, if you want to turn there. You only get 12 chapters into the book of Genesis before you hear the first prophecy and promise from God of Gentile inclusion. Genesis 12 is God introducing himself to Abram. And he says to Abram that he needs to leave his country and take his, his family and just start walking. And God says, when you end up in the land that I meant to give you, I'll tell you. You just go. Now the Lord said to Abram, starting at verse 1, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. We've looked at the Abrahamic covenant many, many times through the years. And we have talked about the spiritual implications of that statement. That through Abraham and his descendants, his particular descendant, who is Christ, that through him all the families, all the tribes, all the peoples of the earth are going to receive the blessing that began at Abraham. Paul is going to argue, and we'll look at it in a moment, that that promise of blessing to Abraham reaches to the Gentiles. It's part of Paul's argument for Gentile inclusion. But this is not the only place in Genesis where you see this promise that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Genesis 18, 18, when God is about to pour out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, he then says, should I hide from Abraham what it is I'm going to do? Because after all, Abraham's nephew, Lot, is living in Sodom. And in Genesis 18, 18, God says, since Abraham will surely become a great and a mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God has now said it a couple of times. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through the descendants of Abraham. Genesis twenty two eighteen. it happens again. Genesis twenty two eighteen. in your seed, in your progeny, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is after he was willing to sacrifice his son because God told him to. And then God intervened with a substitutionary sacrifice, a ram with his head in thorns, 
prefiguring the Christ to come through whom all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. So you don't get 22 chapters into Genesis before three times you see God saying there's going to be inclusion ultimately of all the peoples of the earth, not just the descendants of Abraham genetically, but in fact all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of the Christ to come through the seed of Abraham. So Paul picks that up in the book of Galatians as he is arguing for Gentile inclusion. And in Galatians 3, starting at verse 8, he actually spells out the very thing I'm telling you right now. The things I am saying this morning are not something I woke up this morning and said, hey, that's clever. I think I'll pass that on as if that's the will of God. I'm just expounding on what Paul himself has said because Genesis 3, 8 says the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying all the nations will be blessed in you. So Paul said that that promise that we have now looked at three times out of the book of Genesis, that very promise spoke of Gentile inclusion. So Paul could argue that the scripture, the Old Testament, foreseeing that God was going to justify Gentiles. And how was he going to do it? Not by taking them to the law, not by taking them to Moses and Sinai, but by faith he was going to justify the Gentiles. The scripture already describes it. God already foresaw that that was what he was going to do. And so he preached that gospel beforehand to Abraham, that particular good news about Gentile inclusion. He preached it ahead of time to Abraham when he said, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So Paul is then going to go on to build and extrapolate on his theology of salvation by grace through faith. But the point he's making and the point that I'm making and the point that I hope has been pounded into your consciousness now is that from the very beginning all the way back at the Abrahamic covenant, God was already saying Gentiles are going to be included. It was right there. It was right in the Abrahamic covenant. It was right in the very foundation of Israel as a nation, as a people group. It was there, but they didn't see it. They couldn't comprehend it. They didn't understand it, which is why Paul refers to it as a mystery. It's a truth that already existed. They just didn't get it. Now, by the way, the Abrahamic covenant is not the only place where that is said. In Daniel, that great book of prophecy, in Daniel 7, when speaking of the Son of Man who comes to the throne of God, in Daniel 7, verse 14, it says, And to him, to Christ, was given dominion and glory, or in Steve's case, glory, <laughs> and a kingdom that all the peoples and the nations and the men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. But that kingdom is going to include all the peoples, all the nations, all the men of every language are going to end up serving him. Okay, so not only is it in the book of Genesis... It's right there in the book of Daniel, which is very important to understanding the future and God's intention for national Israel. It's one of their most beloved prophetic books. And right there in it is the description of Christ, the Messiah to come, and how he is going to be Lord and ruler and king of all people, all nations, all tongues, Gentile inclusion. It's right there. They didn't get it. They couldn't see it. Isaiah, we've been studying the book of Isaiah on Wednesday nights. In the book of Isaiah, there are several mentions of Gentile inclusion. In fact, he even uses the word goyim, which means the not Jews, the Gentiles. Starting at Isaiah 11, verse 10, speaking of Christ, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, 
That language is referring to Jesse, the father of David, David who had the Davidic covenant, which promise included that David's greater son was going to sit on David's throne ruling over Israel. So that is very purposeful nomenclature that specifically speaks of Christ when he's called the root of Jesse. He's coming right out of that lineage. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner, as an ensign to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Resting in him is where real glory resides. Resting in him is not only a Jewish promise, it's a Gentile promise. And the Gentiles are going to seek him and rest in him. It's right there in Isaiah, one of the great prophets, one of the largest prophetic books in the scripture. It's right there, Gentile inclusion. They didn't see it. Isaiah 42, starting at verse 1, I'm going to read the next four verses. Behold, my servant, speaking of Christ, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Justice to the nations and to the coastlands and to the whole earth. Those all speak of Gentile inclusion. And of course, you know this passage because you've grown up knowing phrases like a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. And right in the context of that statement is Gentile inclusion. But they didn't see it. It was hidden. Isaiah 49, he says it again. Isaiah 49, 6. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. Oh, it's not just Jacob you're raising up. My son, the Christ, the Messiah. You're not just going to raise up the tribes of Israel again to form your kingdom, that's not enough. You're also going to restore the preserved ones of Israel and I will give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the very ends of the earth. So the Gentiles are mentioned by name very specifically as included and in all of these promises of Gentile inclusion, you'll notice that they are all based in the coming Messiah. Once the Jewish Messiah came, then Gentiles were included and brought to faith in God, the Jewish Yahweh God, in the Jewish Savior. That promise of Gentile inclusion is based in the Savior to come. Now that he's come, of course Gentiles are going to be included. It's what's been promised all the way along. You, says Paul, just couldn't see it, but it was always there. It was always the truth. It was always the promise of God. It was always the intention of God. It was always the prophecy of God. God has already told you that it was coming. You just didn't get it. That's what made it a mystery. And in order to understand the mystery... In biblical language, in order to understand the mystery, there has to be a revelation. There has to be an unveiling, an apocalypsis, the exact same word that is the book of Revelation. That's the word that Paul uses to say the reason we now get that, even though it was always there, it was always in the scripture, it was always written down, God always told us this was coming, and the reason we didn't see it was because God didn't reveal it yet. But he left himself a witness. He left himself a testimony. He had his prophets say it, and it's right there in the Davidic covenant and in the Abrahamic covenant. The two unconditional covenants. It's right there, 
You just couldn't see it. But now that Christ has come, it has been unveiled, and now we can understand the mystery of the inclusion of Shane in the salvation of the Jewish God. You get it? Okay, I said Shane, but apply it to yourself. Understand that the only reason you're sitting here right now, the only reason that you're listening to the word of God yet again, the only reason that you're listening and involved in and care about what God's word says is because it's been revealed to you. It's always been here. It's always said what it says, but it's been revealed to you. And just so that you don't think that that is a one-time revelation, it is constantly revealing itself to you. It is constantly being opened up to you. The Spirit of God is bringing the Word of God alive to you on a constant basis, which is why you're understanding things today you didn't understand yesterday. That's a constant part of what it is to be a Christian and to be taught by the Word of God. That's the importance of the Word of God, why we keep pounding away at the Word of God and that behavior of God, if I can call it that, that system of God of revealing himself to people over the course of time is how he has always worked and how he works today and how he is still working in all of you individually because it was always there. It didn't change. It took the revelation of God for you to get it. Yeah? Yes. I expected a huge amen at that point. I expected people jumping on chairs and swinging off chandeliers. I expected, well, anyway, so much for my expectations. That was all introduction. You know the rule. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1 begins with the phrase, for this reason, now you can't start anything on for this reason. At the end of what we call chapter 2, Paul has just said that you Gentiles, you strangers, have been introduced, have been brought near, have been given the Holy Spirit of God, and you are now included in the one new man. So I'm going to read chapter 2, starting at verse 11, so that we can understand the for this reason. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you see how important this is? Now that the Messiah has come, now that there is the revelation of the very Son of God, now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far away have been brought near by the sacrificial work of Christ, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He himself ceased the againstness between Jew and Gentile. And between you Gentiles and God, he's the one who brought about the peace. You didn't do it, for he himself is our peace who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one. And he broke down the wall, the barrier, the dividing wall, the partition that was between you by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the againstness that was between you, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both, Jew and Gentile, into that one body to God through his cross, through his sacrificial work, by having put to death the enmity. And again, what was the enmity? The law, the ordinances. Verse 17, And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who are near. That's Isaiah 57. He's reaching back to Isaiah to say, look, this has always been written. This has always been said. This was always God's plan. He came and preached peace to you who were far away 
and he preached peace to those who were near. That's Gentile and Jew. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the Hagios, with the saints, with the separated to God, and you are of God's household. Because after all, you've been placed as sons. You've been adopted by God into his family. Verse 20, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, that chief cornerstone that we heard Leon talk about just a few moments ago. In whom, that chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, that by revelation... There was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before, in brief. So Paul said, the reason I know this stuff, the reason I know about Gentile inclusion, the reason that I am the apostle to the Gentiles, the reason that I'm taking the beatings, I'm taking the stonings, I'm taking the imprisonment, I'm taking the jailings, the reason that I'm enduring everything for the sake of Christ is so that you Gentiles can hear about the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Savior, who is going to take some of you for himself, because that's what the scripture has always said about you, and it is for that reason that I, as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, let's start talking there. The prisoner of Jesus Christ. He said, I am completely owned by Jesus Christ. I'm not just the servant of Jesus Christ, but I am captured by him. I am owned by him. I am put into service by him despite me. I'm not doing this by choice. I'm doing this because Christ Jesus knocked me down and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Three times in the book of Acts, Paul cites that story to explain to the people and to the kings and to the governors, the three different times he says it, so that he could argue, look, I don't have a choice here. I'm doing exactly what the Lord of glory told me to do because he not only shined a bright light on me and knocked me down and called me by name, but then he blinded me and then he sent me to the house of the very man I was going to persecute. And when that man prayed for me, I got my eyesight back. And then I understood through Jesus' own instruction, what my job was, which is to go and preach to the Gentiles and to go suffer many things for his sake. That makes me a prisoner of Christ Jesus. For this reason, for the inclusion of you Gentiles, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So this is God's plan. This is Christ's intention and instruction. I belong to Christ. I am the prisoner of Christ. And I'm enduring it all for your sake. You're the one that benefits. Through the plan of God, through the intention of Christ, and through the beatings, the stonings, the imprisonments of Paul, you're the one that benefits. And by the way, that's true to this very moment. The reason you know what you know at this moment is because Paul endured the things he endured so that you could have these letters from him so that you as Gentiles could know about the things of Christ so that you could come to faith in Christ so that you too could be saved by the only God that is. He was willing to suffer all that because he was Christ's prisoner for your sake. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Really interesting phrase. That word stewardship right there is the Greek word from which we get the English word economy. In a household, there was always a servant whose job it was to administer the household. 
He was in charge of making sure that there was sufficient stuff in the house for people to eat and for people to live and to take care of his master's debts and to take care of the distribution of his master's stuff. That was the person in the household who did that. That's the word that Paul chose to use. And he said, you have heard that I have been given this stewardship, this job. I have been assigned by Christ to distribute his stuff, to watch over his stuff, and to make sure that his people have adequate of his stuff, but it's still his stuff. He's still the master. It's still his household. My job is just to distribute what is his. And so he speaks of a stewardship of God's grace. It's still God's grace. It's nobody else's grace. It's only the grace of God that is going to get anybody saved. Paul's job is to go out and administer that grace to the Gentiles to explain to the Gentiles that it is not through the keeping of the law, that it is not through going back to Moses or Sinai that they're going to be saved, that they are going to be saved by grace through faith the same way that Abraham the believer was. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Therefore, Paul argues in the book of Galatians, you Gentiles, by believing on Christ, are going to get justification because that too is true all the way back to Abraham. It's always been true. It's always been right there. You just didn't get it. So I'm here to tell you about it. And the only reason I know about it is because God gave it to me. I am the the prisoner of Christ Jesus, he gave me a job, and that job is to be the administer of the grace of God and bringing it to you Gentiles, in exchange for which you Gentiles have beat me and stoned me and put me in prison and run me out of cities. You've caused me no end of grief, and I'm still going to go out there and tell it because I know for a fact that God has his people and that the message is going to get to those people and that those people are going to understand and come to faith and are going to be saved. And for the sake of their salvation, Paul said, I withstand all of this stuff because I'm his prisoner. For this reason, for the inclusion of Gentiles, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard about the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation, that's that same word as I said, that is the unveiling, the apocalypsis. The last book in the New Testament is the book of Revelation, uncovering. Well, it's the same word that Paul used here to say that there is an uncovering of this truth. The truth has always been there. It's always been written in the scripture. Now it's being revealed because Christ himself has come. So that by revelation, there was made known to me the mystery, that hidden truth that was always there. It was still true. It just wasn't known yet. But it was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ the unknown aspects of Christ. And now he's going to be very specific about what that unknown mystery was, which in other generations was not made known, was not uncovered, was not revealed. It was not made known to the sons of men as it is now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. Then the NASB adds the words to be specific, just because they don't want you to miss that this is what Paul's talking about. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. 
Okay, there's a lot to unpack in that sentence, but I wanted to read the whole sentence so you could understand the logic of Paul's argument. Previous generations, he's now defining this mystery for us. He says other generations, previous generations, didn't know this. And he says the reason they didn't know it was it was still covered up. It wasn't uncovered. In other words, God is so sovereign this sovereign God we talk about all the time, he's so sovereign that he could write stuff down, say stuff to the prophets, say stuff in his unconditional covenants, and then make it so that nobody got it. But it was right there. He left himself a testimony. He left himself a witness. He just didn't reveal it yet. Which is why you read things like, in the fullness of time, Christ came. When it was the appropriate moment on God's calendar, in God's chronos, in God's kairos, in his times and seasons, at the exact moment that God determined Christ came to the earth. When Christ came to the earth, suddenly there was new revelation. And part of this new revelation was the inclusion of Gentiles. And previous generations couldn't get it because God had not revealed it yet. He is still in charge of revealing stuff, revealing himself, revealing his word, and that's the only reason you know stuff now that you didn't know five years ago, ten years ago, previous generations of your life. You didn't know stuff about God because God didn't tell you yet. And then one day, you read it. One day, you heard it. One day it was proclaimed to you. One day you came in touch with the word of God and it all started making sense to you. And you started thinking, I need more of this. Yes. And that's because you were undergoing the revelation of God revealing himself to you. It's a really remarkable thing. In previous generations it was not known to the sons of men. It was known to God. Just wasn't known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and his prophets in the spirit. That is how God began the revealing process. Jesus said to his apostles, you're going to receive the spirit of truth. He's not going to testify of himself. He's going to remind you of everything I have said to you. He's going to bring you the truth and remind you about me and that spirit of truth is going to be with you and going to be in you. He's now going to reside in you, unlike how he acted, unlike how he was in the Old Testament. He's now going to take up habitation within you. And since he is the spirit of truth, he's going to begin revealing things to you. And so these things have been revealed to his holy apostles first, just like Jesus said, you're the ones that are going to receive the spirit of truth. And he's going to remind you of everything I've said and it was revealed to his holy prophets through the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. The Jews, part of the difference that they had with Gentiles, and don't ever underestimate how ingrained this was to the Jewish mind. They had been raised since they were children to believe that the Gentiles were dirty the Gentiles were just dogs. The Gentiles didn't have God. They had foreign gods. They worshipped devils. They didn't have Yahweh. They didn't have the promise of a glorious kingdom to come. And all the promises of the glorious kingdom included Israel ruling over the Gentiles. And so if you've been raised with that your whole life, then just because someone comes to you and says, hey, by the way, the Gentiles are now equal to you, you're not just immediately going to go, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, sure. Paul is saying to understand that, to have the knowledge of that, to have the comprehension that that's what God is doing, it's got to be revealed to you so that you can see it in his word. It was always there in your scripture, and previous generations didn't get it, not because it wasn't true. They didn't get it because God didn't reveal it yet, and now he is revealing it to you through his Holy Spirit that the Gentiles are also heirs to everything you've been promised. You've been promised a kingdom. You've been promised a Messiah. 
you've been promised somebody from David's lineage sitting on the throne you've been promised a glorious future you've been promised this new age to come and a new heaven and a new earth you've been promised all that and that promise is now going to extend also to Gentiles as God continues to choose particular people out of every tribe every tongue every nation and then you get to the book of Revelation and you see the gathered church numerous thousands upon thousands and more than any man can count says John and they're of every tongue every nation every tribe every kindred on planet earth in other words the end result in the book of Revelation is exactly what is promised way back in Genesis 12 so the whole scope of the Bible is getting you from Genesis 12 to Revelation and the kingdom to come and the new Jerusalem which is built on the foundations of the Apostles so Paul says these things were not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed through his Holy Spirit to his holy Apostles and to the prophets in the spirit to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and they're fellow members of the body and they are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus is it worth pointing out again I just want to drill this into your brain if I possibly can. The Bible tells us that in him, Christ Jesus, in him, all the promises of God are yes and amen. All the promises of God includes all that stuff in the Old Testament. All those promises, all those covenants, all those prophecies of a glorious future for Israel. Everything that you read in the Old Testament that is predictive all of that are the promises of God starting at Genesis 12 starting at the covenant that God made with Abraham the unconditional covenant that included promises like I'll give you this land in perpetuity it's yours forever including through you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed including you're gonna have descendants like the sands of the sea stars of the sky those are all promises and to the Jewish mind you could just use that sort of shorthand and you could just refer to the promise and every Jew knew what that meant the promise from God of a glorious kingdom to come the promise of God that he is not going to abandon Israel but is going to establish Israel through David's greater son sitting on the throne and we're going to rule over the Gentiles and blessings are going to come to the earth through Israel out to the Gentile nations that all collectively is the promise and so here he says that they are fellow partakers of the promise but because all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen he then says their fellow partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel because it's through Christ that all the promises of God are going to come to their fruition and it is when Christ came to the earth that all these things that had been not revealed to previous generations are now being revealed am I wearing you out yet because I feel like I'm repeating myself but I just want to get this down into your brain that the only reason you believe what you believe today is because God as part of his electing grace has revealed to you not only what the word says but has revealed to you the faith that it takes to trust completely in Christ with your eternal destiny and the only reason you're thinking that, the only reason you believe that, the only reason you've invested in that in your life is because God himself revealed it to you because he is still a revelatory God. The name Jehovah, the name Yahweh, has several different collective names in the Old Testament. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sitkanu. And all of those names are revelatory names. All of those names are telling you about God. I am the God of peace. I am the enough God. I am the God who is the provider. I'm the God who is your healer. I'm the God. Those are all revelations of God that you would not know about God if he didn't take the time to reveal it to you. And even the fact that you have faith in Christ is a result of Christ himself coming to the planet 
dying, making himself the full sufficient propitiatory sacrifice, and then revealing himself to you because you could not possibly know him and you would not possibly love him had he not begun the relationship, sustained the relationship, given you the faith for the relationship, and revealed himself to you so that there would even be a relationship. What am I saying? I'm saying it's all God. I'm saying it's all Christ. And I'm saying it's all yours by astounding grace. Do you get now why we talk so much about grace? It permeates the New Testament. Sheep food. In other generations, previous generations, it was not made known to the sons of men, but it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, through the good news, through the gospel, of which I, Paul, was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. After the beatings, after the stonings, after the jailings, five times beaten with lashes, he still says, because I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I was given this gift of grace from God to endure all of that for your sake, to bring you the good news, the gospel, the preachment of Jesus Christ, and I am able to do that according to the work of God's power. It's not me doing it. <laughs> I'm not performing this, says Paul. I'm doing it because I am completely owned, I am completely a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and it is only the power of God through his Holy Spirit that would drive me to keep on preaching to you under the extreme hardships that he lived through in order to proclaim the gospel, because he was the prisoner of Christ Jesus and his gospel, of which I was made a minister according to God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his own power. To me, the very least of all the holy ones. Anybody here want to testify? Because I feel like I gave Paul a run for his money. I feel like I'm still giving Paul a run for his money. I look at Paul and I think, no, 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 you're Paul. You're the elect apostle to the Gentiles. 2,000 years later, we're still reading your letters. That makes you like one of the chief of the apostles. Doesn't come much better in terms of sainthood than the apostle Paul. I figure when we get to heaven, if you're lining up to meet somebody, that cue to meet Paul is going to be really long. But you got all eternity, so you'll, you'll line up. Paul, and yet his attitude was it's all God. It's all God's grace. I am a prisoner. I am only doing what was assigned to me to do. I am just the administrator in the household that belongs to God. And I am the very least of all the saints. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfair fathomable riches of Christ. I hope this morning you got some little glimpse, some little taste of the unfathomable riches of Christ. That he would be willing to do all that for you. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light, to reveal the thing that was not revealed to previous generations and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known 
through the church to the rulers and to the authorities in heavenly places. God is revealing himself not only to us here and now, but only God knows what God's plan is. Only God knows the intention, the details of how and where he is revealing himself. And in the process of doing that, even powers and authorities in the heavenly places, which can be the wicked powers and authorities. It could also be the heavenly powers and authorities. He said it's in the heavenlies. Even they are amazed, are completely aghast at what God is doing and how he does it. And that's why you get to the book of Revelation and they are constantly falling down before him, worshiping him, because he's the only one who is doing all of this the way he wants to do it. So the more you know about the grace of God that has revealed to you mysteries that generations of people did not know, that now you know. I mean, there were generations of Israel that didn't know Christ. They just knew there was a Messiah apparently going to come. They didn't know if he was going to be an actual earthly king. They didn't know if he was going to be, they knew his son of David. They weren't sure about the son of God part. You know more at this point than thousands of years of people possibly could have known just because you know who Jesus Christ was and what he did and that he died and that he raised again. That was a big argument in the book of Isaiah. How can somebody die and live again? And yet that's grounded in your faith. You have this great revelation of God, this great kindness of God. By his grace, he has revealed these things to you, and that ought to make you, like Paul, like everybody in heaven right now who are marveling at what God has done, that really ought to make you put your head in the dust before that God and worship that God, because as we sang, great things he has done.
Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. We invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.